goodness me, have you ever seen anything like that in your life from a goalkeeper? <laughs> oh, what a save! What a save, what a save by Jesse Dunay! Oh, it's a disaster! It's gone in off Ankleman! What a save by Hudson, she kept it out! Jimmy Glass, the goalkeeper, has scored a goal for Carlisle United! I am sick to death of this goalkeeper. I would be swinging punches at that guy. This is The Last Line, with Nico Giantsopoulos. Hey everyone, you are very welcome to The Last Line. I am Nico Giantsopoulos, and I'm a goalkeeper with York United Football Club of the Canadian Premier League. And in each episode of this show, I will talk to other keepers, shot stoppers, netminders, goalies, custodians of the onion bag, about the uniqueness of the role, the stresses, anxieties, mistakes, and also the standout memories from their lives and careers. For this week's show, something a little different. Antonin Panenka! Oh, it's genius! Now Wesley Snyder, who scored to the goalkeeper's right in the shootout against Costa Rica, is next. Goes that way again, but this time Romero has done his homework. Roberto Baggio, the saviour of Italy throughout this tournament. He's missed it, and Brazil win the World Cup. With so many headlines devoted to spot kicks in recent weeks, and with penalties set to play a crucial role at the European Championships that have just got underway, we felt the time was right to delve a little further into this topic. So we tracked down the definitive voice. Ignacio Palacios Huerta is a professor at the London School of Economics, but after decades of research and producing academic papers on the subject, he is also the penalty doctor. Ignacio, welcome to the show. The penalty doctor, how does that sit with you? Do you like it? Do you laugh at it? I'm a bit embarrassed. It's a bit of an exaggeration. I'm, I have a PhD, but I'm not a doctor <laughs> in penalty kicks. Nevertheless, my pleasure to be here with you, Nico, today. I guess my, many people might wonder, why why are you talking to an economist? Um, why are you calling this guy a penalty doctor? And the fact is that uh, I've always liked football. I grew up in Spain, but then I moved to the U.S. to do my master and PhD. It was around 1997. There were rumors that they were going to do a movie about John Nash. The movie ended up being titled A Beautiful Mind. Have you watched this, Nico? A Beautiful Mind? No, never. Okay, so you have to watch it because it's, it's a fascinating story about a famous mathematician. He proved a very important theorem that we use in economics. It's Russell Crowe, very famous actor, and also Jennifer Connelly. Famous actors, very good movie, Oscar. <laughs> Adam Smith needs revision. What are you talking about? If we all go for the blonde, we block each other. Not a single one of us is going to get her. So then we go for her friends. But they will all give us the cold shoulder because nobody likes to be second choice. But what if no one goes for the blonde? We don't get in each other's way, and we don't insult the other girls. That's the only way we win. That's the only way we all get laid. <laughs> Adam Smith said the best result comes from everyone in the group doing what's best for himself, right? That's what he said, that's right? Incomplete. Incomplete. Okay? 
because the best result would come <laughs> from everyone in the group doing what's best for himself and the group. Ash, this is some way for you to get the blonde on your own. You can go to hell. Governing <laughs> dynamics, gentlemen. Governing dynamics. Adam Smith. What's wrong? Yep, there we go. Careful, careful. This guy got the Nobel Prize in economics. So some of his theories have remained unproven. Do they work to explain human behavior? So at some point, it's like these apples that follow from the trees with Sir Isaac Newton or, or Galileo Galilei when he was dropping these stones from the Pisa Tower. It occurred to me that that would be my stones and my apples, the penalty kicks. Penalty kicks are ideal, really ideal to test the theories of this guy. So I started collecting penalty kicks. And then I proved that indeed you, you might not know it, uh, Nico, uh, people like you and people like the typical takers behave as Nash predicts in a penalty kick. Then I published a paper that ended up being very famous in, in economics and mathematics because it was the first proof that Nash theory works to explain human behavior. And 2003, when I published this paper, I had around 1,000 penalty kicks. Now I got addicted to penalty kicks and I have around 11,000 penalty kicks in my database. And it's fascinating, really, because, yeah, the theory works. It's like the theory of gravity works. Okay, the theory of Nash works with human behavior, with human people. But you can do many more things. What is there? I mean, it's, it's, a very, it's the simplest shot there is. It's one shot. Uh, you are choosing basically left or right. I am the kicker choosing left or right, maybe center. Okay, two or three choices. That's really it. What should happen? Let's say you are, the, you are the goalkeeper, I'm the taker. It should happen two things. That from my perspective, my success rate should be the same wherever I kick. So let's say I'm right-footed. I'm right -footed, okay? My natural side would be to kick to your right-hand side. But you know that I'm right-footed. So you know that that's my natural... When I'm a little bit better, maybe a little bit stronger, I can place the ball a little bit better. But you know that. Okay, and I know that you know that. Maybe I should mix a little bit to the left. I cannot always kick the same. So in equilibrium, in the Nash equilibrium, it should be that players have the same, statistically speaking, success rates wherever they kick. That does not mean that I'm going to kick 50-50. That depends on how good I am, how natural is my natural kick, etc., etc. And on average, takers kick around 60% to the natural side and 40% to the non-natural side. If you kickers that use the center like Harry Kane and others, so basically the Nash equilibrium is around 55% natural side, 10% center, and the rest, uh, 35 non-natural. And when you look at the data, that's what happens. And if it doesn't happen, you can predict a little bit or a lot, depends, depends on the player. And this is unconscious. You guys are professionals. You are very good. You have these instincts. You follow the laws of NAS the same way as apples or stones follow the laws of gravity. They don't know the laws of gravity, but they follow them. So you more or less behave as NAS would predict without knowing. The percentages there about the natural way, the unnatural way. I mean, coming as a player, I mean, I feel like this just isn't info that is as well known as it maybe should be. Do you find that uh, in the professional world of football that those percentages are well known by players, goalkeepers, even staff? They behave as if they were known. You guys develop instincts and most of you are doing okay, but not all of you. And if not all of you, then I can take advantage of that. And the other thing that you might like, you might like I think, is the second implication is that I should not be predictable. 
the same way as you should not be predictable. Why, if I am predictable, you can take advantage of me, and vice versa. What does it mean not being predictable? It cannot be that I do right, left, right, left, right, left. Why? Because you know a left is coming and vice versa. So I have to mix whatever mix I choose in a random way. And vice versa for you. You cannot do dive right, dive left, dive right, dive left. No, you have to try to mimic a random variable. And you do, most of you guys do without knowing, so that I don't have a way to take advantage of any pattern that you might develop. So this is what happens actually in real life, even though most players are not aware that they equate, they choose proportions to equate scoring rates across their strategies and that they do so more or less in a random way, which is really fascinating, really. So it was a big moment to me when I look at my first 1,000, 2,000 penalty kicks and I check these implications are they are there in the data. Now, I'm telling you that most people don't know about this because there is another thing that happens a lot, and we might see this uh, in the Euros 2020 now, this summer, or in the World Cup, which is penalty shootouts. In a penalty shootout, this is another paper I published 10 years ago, so you think everything is random, it doesn't matter. You know, the, the referee flips a coin. The referee tells, look, you won, Nico, you won the coin uh, The coin toss. What do you want to kick first or kick second? Well, I'm, I'm cheating here because I've done a bit of research on you, Ignacio. I would say I'm going to shoot first every time. Exactly. So that's fascinating because I was not really expecting to find this, but there's an advantage to kicking first. Even though both teams have the same chances, everything is the same, etc., etc. You look at 1,000 shootouts, and the first kicking team wins around 60% of the time. And the second kicking team, 40% of the time. It's a big, big difference, 20% of the time. So most people were not aware of these numbers. It's 60-40 because the second team, if all the penalty kicks are being scored, is always catching up. 1-0, I'm behind by one, then I kick. Okay, 1-1. One, one. Then you kick 2-1. When you kick, you can get ahead, get ahead, get ahead. I can tie, tie, tie. So there's an asymmetry between being leading and being lagging. You score, I miss. Then you score, then I am minus two. Next, when I'm kicking next, I'm minus two. I'm in a big hole. I cannot get out of minus two now. So it's a huge asymmetry when one misses one kick. You at, you at most become minus one, but I can become minus two. Even though I only missed once, the other one is because I'm kicking second, I haven't kicked yet. So this thing, you don't see it in one shootout or in two or in five or in ten. But when you look at 1,000 shootouts you see that the first kicking team wins more often than the second. 60-40. They behave as, they, as if they were aware because they tend to choose to kick first. They have the right intuitions, but they didn't know why. It's the same as, as I said, the stones. They don't know the laws of gravity, but they follow them. On occasion, you see people making mistakes. For instance, in the last Europa League final, Manchester United, Villarreal, Bruno Fernandes, the captain of Man United, won, won the coin toss. And he chose Man United to kick second. So that night, I got, I don't know, 10 phone calls and emails. Ignacio, what do you think about what Furno Gaston said? Look, he gave away 20% to Villarreal. My or might not matter in this specific shootout. But look, if there's 20%, I want it for me. Not, I don't want to give 20% away. Small margins are so important. So important that you have to take care of everything that one could potentially take care of. It was very funny because uh, a very famous sporting director told me once, Ignacio, you got, I don't know, at that time I had maybe 6,000 penalty kicks. Oh, you like penalty kicks and this and that. But I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important in mathematics, in economics, blah, 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 blah. At some point he told me, look, 
penalty kicks are an accident. I said, what do you mean an accident? Well, they are random. Most goals are not coming, you know, are an open play. Said, no, no, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean most goals are not coming from, you know? No, well, I don't know the numbers, but they are, you know, it, ha- it has to be very, very small. You know, it's an accident. This is a very famous sporting director that has been in La Liga for around 30 years. I said, well, how is it small do you think they are? The, the percentages of goals that are coming from this penalty kick. Well, I don't know. I said, no, but tell me a number. You're thinking it's small. What, do, what in your view is small? I said, well, if you push me, I would say 1%, 2%, something like that. I said, look, it's 10%. And if all the penalty kicks were scored, it could be around 11 12%. So there's some variation across leagues, maybe Canada, US, Spain, England, etc. It could be 9, 10, 11, 12, but it's around 10%, from 9 to 12. Most leagues, from 9 to 12% of goals are coming from the penalty spot. 10% is a big number. And, and what's the sporting director's, what was his reaction to that when you said that? No, he was, he was... You cannot say anything. You cannot say anything. Look, I was way offside. Plus, if you put together all the stuff, static plays, like corner kicks and uh, free kicks, around 35 to 40% are coming from uh, static plays. Static plays are interesting. They are not the more entertaining ones, of course. We like open play. We like nice plays, nice saves, nice everything. But they can be prepared. They are responsible for 30 to 40% of all goals, in a very low-scoring sport, there's another piece that is very interesting. It's people that don't play as they should. What type of biases they have? They might or might not be aware of the biases. I mean, you know yourself, Nico, and you know what makes you nervous, what is your thinking process, and this is something I would like to ask you. Because in the data, you see a bunch of biases. For instance, after you miss a kick to one side, you don't, you don't repeat that side. So after they start diving to the correct side a lot, you start switching. They might not save it, but you start switching. Basically, people don't, you know, don't handle more than three diving to the correct side uh, kicks. So they become predictable, especially takers that have fewer than 10 penalty kicks. I don't know if you know this book called, which I recommend, by the way, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Danny Kahneman. Sometimes you're... I, Optimal thinking process would be fast, you see a snake, you see fire, you are driving and there is danger. Okay, you have to think fast. But sometimes you have to think slowly. You have to calm down, take it easy and assess the situation carefully. So all these system one and system two in your brain that are valuing situations. He was very famous because he you know, created in some sense this behavioral, psychological way of thinking about human behavior. And for that, top sports is, is ideal. Like like you guys, because you have high stakes, a lot of stuff is in your hands. Uh, you are professionals. You have many years of practice. We can observe you making your choices. So tell me a little bit about you, about your type of biases. How what is your thinking process when you when you are in a penalty involved in a penalty kick or in a penalty shootout? It's definitely different, like your mindset and the thought process when it comes to penalty shoot. I feel like penalty shootout is a lot more strategic you need to have a game plan stuff like that but for me personally when it comes to in a game uh it's like you said earlier it's very much instinctual that's that's kind of how i feel about it but it's tough i i don't think i've been in so many penalty shootouts where i've had a a game plan stuff like that i have statistics before the game i know where the top shooters have shot their last uh 10 penalties but uh 
don't know, hearing you speak and uh, listening to the statistics of it all, I feel like me myself go more with instincts. But then, you know, hearing the statistics and talking about uh, the advantage of going one way, I feel like now I should start playing more uh, to the numbers game, which is why I asked you, like, how well known do you think these numbers are? Because me as a player, I've been, I'm 27 years old. I've been playing, you know, over, over 20 years. And these numbers that I feel like should be out everywhere just aren't really the norm or haven't been told to us. But look at that. I told you, Bruno Fernandes. Exactly. Which is a big shock. So... At least some top journalists and some economists know about this because journalists, they, they read the stuff. But Bruno did not have the right instinct. And he said, look, you kick first and I go second. Which is not only Bruno. He's the goalkeeping coach of Manchester United. And it's not only the goalkeeping coach of Manchester United. It's the coach. The coach should say, look, if we win the coin toss, for sure we kick first. It goes to penalties. 1-1 after 90 minutes. And 1-1 after extra time, it's down to Pedacek and Edwin van der Sar. My first experience in some sense was in 2008 when I was called by Chelsea. A friend of mine, a professor, was, fam- was very good friends with Chelsea's coach at the time, Avram Grant. So he knew about my research and he told me, look, can you do a, a study of the Man United players and tell us whether there is some predictability there? And then we, uh, we take that to Moscow. The final was in Moscow. So there was some predictability. In the goalkeeper, Van der Sar tended very strongly, maybe 80-20, to dive to the natural side, which is your right-hand side, you know, the right-hand side of the goalkeeper for when, whenever he's facing the right-footed kicker. So he had, you know, instead of doing 60-40, he could do 80-20, a lot, a little bit too much. A little bit too much, and if you go tonight and watch the shootout, the 2008 Man United-Chelsea, you will see my Chelsea players kicking to the left and scoring, scoring, scoring. Why? Because 80-20, you can take advantage. If it's, you know, 20% advantage in the shootout could be a big thing. Let's kind of dig into that a bit because are the players just taking this information on board? Like, how do you convince them? Because my opinion would be you'd be fighting, you know, a bit of pushback from the players when it comes to academics. Like, do they just welcome this information or do, do you have to do a lot of convincing to, you know, to, for them to trust you? Nico, that's a key question because I never talk to the players. So I send the report to the coach and then the coach handles the players. So I don't know exactly what Abraham told them, but he, might, he used the report. I thought, look, we have an analysis and it's very simple. Van der Sar tends to dive to the natural side very, very, very often. He, he said two things. By the way, in this report, Cristiano Ronaldo, if he stops, it's very hard to stop to save a penalty kick by Ronaldo. But if he stops in the run-up to the ball very likely, around 90% likely, he's going to kick to the right-hand side of the goalkeeper. And there was another big bias. Another big bias was that all the penalty kicks that Van der Sar had saved were to the natural side, which is what he tended to do. So Avrangan told me that he not, did not spend more than five minutes with this. And he also told them, look, in the coin toss, if we win the coin toss, let's kick, let's kick first. Because there's this analysis that said, look, uh, 60-40, we won the 60. So that's it. So I send the report to the coach. I don't, as I never talk to the coach. It's up to the coaches to see how they handle the different personalities, the different players, etc. The same when I was, I was working, I was a director and also t- head of technical ID at Athletic Bilbao in La Liga. I directly with the coach, with Ernesto Valverde, that then moved to coach of Barcelona, with Bielsa, always to the coach. You give the report to the coach. 
And the coach decides how to talk to the goalkeeper and to the take. It was very funny because if you look at this Chelsea Man United, uh, Man United won the coin toss and they didn't know what to choose. So he was yelling to the bench, hey, I won the coin toss. And then my captain, John Terry, grabbed his arm and told him, look, don't worry. He, he was Rio Ferdinand, a famous uh, uh, central defender for Man United. Hey, don't worry, Rio. They, they were teammates in the nice, in English national team. Don't worry, Rio. We'll kick first. Don't worry. We'll kick first. I said, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Hey, Sir Alex, you know, it was Sir Alex Ferguson, the coach. Hey, Alex, what do I do? And then they, they decided to kick first. But at that point, I already knew that they were taking very seriously the data because why would otherwise John Terry insist on kicking first? So it was very, very funny. A proud moment for you? That was very proud. But the proudest was penalty kick number three because my Chelsea players were scoring. Man United was scoring. Penalty kick number three is Cristiano Ronaldo. No predictability in general, as I told you, unless he stops a little in the run-up, in which case he's going to kick to the right-hand side of the goalkeeper. The world is watching. Shimmy. And check has saved from Ronaldo of all people. So my goalkeeper, Peter Sek, stayed put in the middle, waited, waited. Ronaldo stopped a little in the run-up, kicked to the right, and Peter Sek saved it. Actually, it was not Peter that saved it. I saved it. I saved, I saved that penalty kick. You got to tell him that. Of course I told him, look, Peter, I saved this. Of course you did. I have twins. My twins are 17 now, but they were four at the time. I wake them up. They were sleeping. I say, oh, it's saved. It was unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. And then the John Terry moment happened. Exactly. Has the chance to win the Champions League for Chelsea. And it's a chance that has passed him by and the agony is there again. Watch him slip, Martin. Had he not slipped, I don't know if you remember, Van der Sar moved to the right as predicted. John Terry kicked to the left, hit the post and went away. And then, penalty number six or seven, uh, Nicolas Anelka, uh, the coach told me, I knew Anelka would not, would not, would not score from the moment I was giving the speech in the, in the locker room because he did not pay attention. He did not want to know anything about this. All the penalty kicks that Van der Sar had saved had been mid-high to the natural side. That's exactly where Anelka kicked. And Van der Sar saved it, and I lost it. <laughs> he didn't look happy coming forward, Anelka. And he's not happy now because it's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. Best in the Premier League. Their best in the Champions League. Thanks to Edwin van der Sar's save. 2010, I, I worked for the Netherlands in the in South African World Cup. Uh, Netherlands uh, reached the final against Spain. And Spain had very few takers. They were very predictable. And most of the takers had already been substituted. So they were approaching the penalty shootout with very few people, very few infrequent takers that are very predictable. You know, infrequent takers tend to kick to the natural side much more often than, on, than average. 70, 80% natural, natural, natural. You know, right-footed to your right-hand side, Nico, and left-footed kickers to the, your left-hand side. 
Nevertheless, so I was about to become world champion with the Netherlands, uh, <laughs> except that Iniesta uh, scored five minutes before the end of the extra time. There you have it, my second big loss. Growing up, I was a huge Casillas fan. What was the report uh, on him? I think it was a little bit about average, but Spain had a better keeper, Reina. He was in the bench. Reina was really good. Had I been the coach, had I been Vicente del Bosque, I would have substituted uh, Reina for the shootout, really, because he's, he was really good. Were you involved with the team with Louis van Gaal when uh, they ended up changing Tim Krul? No, that's very funny because the World Cup 2014, I think, I got maybe 20 emails that night. What did you tell Van Gaal? What did you do? Why? Because many people knew about the 2010, me working for the Netherlands. So they were assuming that this is such an unusual thing. It must have been some study behind this, and probably the guy that was working for them in 2010 is still working for them. I said, look, I have nothing to do with this. But I learned from the Dutch camp that after they had a look at the way I approached a penalty kick, they learned about Nash, and they are using Nash. So this is what they told me, that they are using what you, what you taught them in some sense from your, your reports in the 2010 World Cup. And that must have convinced them that Team Krul, instead of Silesen, with this guy, we got 25% extra. How does the process work when a team or country, like you said, approach you? How does it come about? And is it you approaching them or is it always them approaching you? They have always approached me. I, I'm, not, I'm an economics professor. I enjoy it a lot. I, I do consulting, but I'm not a consultant. You know, England, in so many ways, is ahead of other countries. They're importing good coaches. They have more money. They are more serious. The stakes are higher. So they know this story about 2008. So it was in The Guardian, in The Times, uh, in Soconomics, which by a couple of British authors. I teach at the London School of Economics. So a few teams over the years have approached me from England. I was advising Swansea the, two or three weeks ago. A final against Brentford. They have a very, very great uh, number nine, Ivan Tony. Tony, I had 19 penalty kicks for Tony. 16 to your, to your left-hand side, to the non-natural. So I ran his data in an algorithm that takes into account the leg, the time, because it's not the same to kick when you are in, minute, in the first five minutes than in the last five minutes. The score is not the same to, is not the same to kick when, when you are 0-0 than when you are 5-0. The goalkeeper that you have in front of you, what have you done in the last kick? What have you done the last five kicks? Whether your whether goalkeeper started to dive correctly, maybe his maybe goalkeepers are reading you. So out of this guy, this is the this is very interesting because, as I told you, 19 penalty kicks, 16 to left hand side. My algorithm predicts he's going to kick right next time. It's not natural. He doesn't like to kick there. Why my algorithm? Why because there are two ingredients in this specific case. And goalkeepers were diving correctly a lot. And the last three or four times, the goalkeepers were diving to the correct side. Okay, so tell me, look, this guy, by the way, this guy, it was very funny because he's developed kicking to the right-hand side after COVID. So before that, you know, let's say the first 10 penalty kicks all to the left. The last nine, six left and three right. So this guy is developing the right. They are diving correctly a lot to the left. I prefer the left, but they know that I, that I prefer the left. I have kicked very easily to the left. Whatever it is, it's a, very, it's a mathematical equation that comes from these theories. You put the data there, 
and it will tell you probability. And the probability was a little bit higher on right. So look, you have 55 here, 45 there. You have to go with 55. It's not much greater, but it is greater. So guess what? Minute 10, Ivan Tony, penalty kick for Brentford, kicks to the right. Ivan Tony for Brentford, 1-0 for Brentford. It's a very, very cool penalty kick indeed. My goalkeeper goes to the right and couldn't save it, but was very close. That's why I'm telling you all this, because at the end of the day, all this stuff, consciously and cautiously, must be on the, the keeper and the, and the taker's minds. You know, I have various choices, so you have to mix things up, etc. So there is some predictability. As you know, there was not a great deal of predictability in this case, but still push in one direction. And, and sometimes, it's, you know, I've seen kickers that, you know, 85% for sure will kick right. Still, they, it could happen, 15, 15% left. That could happen, but you have to bet on probabilities. And maybe not in this shot, but on average, if you start betting on probabilities in the medium-long run, you gain those percentages. And the stakes are so big that you want these percentages. These margins are getting smaller and smaller, and the stakes bigger and bigger. Then, in your opinion, who is the best penalty taker in the world right now? I think it has to be Harry Kane, I think. See, because I was thinking Bruno Fernandes. I don't have his data in my mind. It could be good. Probably Bruno might have two different types of kicks, but Harry has three. Plus, if you think also in terms of height, low and high, or medium height, it could be more than, more than three, maybe six or nine. So basically three. That's the main thing, is the direction, left, center, right. He has three, very unpredictable, high success rates in everywhere he kicks at, random, so he's developed, uh, not in his first 10, 20, he, there was some predictability, but in the last 30, 40, 50, is fantastic. Look at Messi. Messi is below average. Messi had, Messi had two years that was terrible. Like he could predict, you could predict anything. And now it's improved, it's come back to being okay. I had this paper, by the way, uh, recently on Maradona. I was embarrassed that, that I liked football. I loved Maradona. It was very, very nice to watch him play. It never occurred to me to check him up. So I took a couple of months after he passed away to gather as many penalty kicks as possible. And I got most of them, not all of them, because he started kicking when he was very young. Black and white television in the 70s for uh, Argentinos juniors. Nevertheless, so I got most of his lifetime penalty kicks, and he plays brilliantly. But other than Maradona, he was, you know, he was good from the perspective. He had a high success rate, but not as high as Harry Kane. But I was thinking also of uh, maybe you, too, you are too young on, for this, but uh, Alan Shearer was number nine for Newcastle, uh, also national team. Alan Shearer was great. He basically had one kick high up to the, your right hand side. And he had a second one, but he didn't use it much. He did not mind at all that there was a goalkeeper in front of him. So you had such a powerful shot that your psychology is so strong that you don't care. He had 90 plus percent success rate. And, you know, you put three goalkeepers. He wouldn't mind. He could put it up there. Most of them. There's a famous one also a little bit older, Matt Letizier. He scored 48 at 49. Germany has won, I don't know, nine out of 10 shootouts. Why are you German so good? They asked uh, Oliver Kahn. So Oliver Kahn said, look, uh, we are so good because we decide in the locker room where we're going to dive. 
So we are not thinking right there. So I don't start thinking, oh, my God, he's looking at me. Oh, he's looking to the right. So maybe he's looking to the left. Or maybe he's looking to the right because I might be diving to the left, blah, blah, blah. No, I don't want to start thinking. So we are Germans. We prepare when we are calm down. Let's not leave the heat of the moment uh, interfere with my decision-making process. Have you ever had a coach that will tell you in advance to think about where are you going to dive? I've never had a coach that says, like, I think you should dive this way. They just give me the statistics and then they completely leave it to me. Appreciate that. I feel like it, it, they have some kind of trust in my instincts and my abilities to make the right decision. Um, but again, if, if, if I had a coach, I said, dive right because the statistics are this way. I'm the kind of player that'd be like, okay, sounds good. You're my coach. I trust you. So would you prefer that? Which, which, which way would you prefer to? The second one? In uh, a shootout, you do think about so many things. So many things go through your mind, the situation, uh, how do you place the ball? Like you're trying to get all this extra information and then who knows? Like it might not be useful and I might almost psych my way up. So if I just have a decision and it's decided before that, again, I like the idea of it's, it's easy, less thinking, more doing. Given that most kicks are scored, <laughs> you have less to lose than the taker. So you have more to win. Than, than the taker. If you save it, you are a hero. If you don't save it, okay, it's bad, but it's not terrible. Uh, do you feel that you might have less pressure? I've never, I've never felt pressure in a, a penalty in a game or even in a shootout for for those reasons that you just explained. Do you try to play games with the taker? For the most part, I'll be honest. No, I I don't do too much of that. I just like to focus on the ball and do that. Uh, Ignacio, we could really get into a long story. I have a a moment that uh, in a game, it was maybe the 40th minute, uh, I was facing a penalty. The ball was placed on the spot, and I actually booted the ball off of the spot uh, into, the, into the stands, essentially. I just kicked it. Uh, the referee gave me a yellow card. Uh, the ball eventually came back, was placed. He took the shot, and I ended up saving it. Oh, wow. Maybe you should get another yellow card next time and do the same or like <laughs> well i've been told that but then you know it's such it's actually a viral moment that people think i'm some penalty genius you're the penalty doctor i'm considered in some circles as the penalty genius uh, i don't want to do the same thing and then get scored on and then i'm referred to as the the penalty idiot so a hundred percent strike rate uh, i probably won't do it again I, I got to ask you a quick opinion. What do, what do you think of Penenkas? I think they are great, but they are not worth the risk. I was asked this in an interview in a Guardian a month ago or a month and a half ago after Aguero, in what probably was his last penalty kick for Manchester City, decided to kick. He's not, he's not a typical taker, but he kicks sometimes. So he decided to get the ball, kick it, he kicked the Panenka, the goalkeeper safety. First of all, a true Panenka is a difficult, it's a difficult shot. Center is not per se Panenka. You need to do a little bit. You know, you have to kick a little bit different. So you have to induce the goalkeeper to dive to one side or to the other. None of the data sets that I know, or even the, these companies that provide data, record penalty kicks as a Panenka. So they could record a center, but the center is not necessarily a Panenka. All the Panenkas are center, but not all the centers are Panenkas. So nevertheless, so you look at the Panenkas, 
And the Panenkas have a, a little bit lower success rate. Okay, so it's a little bit riskier. Taking into account that it's riskier, the success rate is a little bit lower. To me, as an spectator, it's beautiful. It's a show. What would you do? Why would you, why would you do something that on average is a little bit worse and you can look bad? If I face 100 penalties, I don't think I'll ever stand in the middle. But again, it's like what you said. Sometimes the technique, like you could tell that they're going to chip it. So they really have to lull you uh, into thinking they're going to hit it into a corner and then dive. I haven't saved the penalty down the middle, and I think it'll be extremely difficult. With, uh, with Euros, once it comes to the knockout rounds, what trends should you know myself and, and kind of any viewer of the game uh, be looking for when it comes to penalty kicks? Uh, in a penalty shootout, you will start seeing guys that are infrequent takers. Infrequent takers more often than they should, let's say, to the natural side. And of course, the, the coin toss might be the only guy in the stadium looking at the coin toss. But the coin toss <laughs> is very important. It's 20%. It's 20%. And then it's also interesting. That's really a little bit freaky. But given that I have the data and that I did this study, this is specific for soccer. Are all kicks during the shootouts equally important? Important means to what extent the difference between scoring or not scoring matters for the final outcome. It turns out that the importance of a penalty kick is a U-shape. The first and second and the last ones are the most important ones. The ones in the middle are important, but not as important as the others. This probably many people don't know, but you should place the best guys first, because first, you know, first one or two, or last. And they're not, you know, maybe not so good in the middle in some sense because you want the import, the guys, the good guys in the important ones. And of course, the super important ones is number six or seven. That's do or die, end of the story. That's super important. But of course, you cannot just reserve a super taker for six or seven because it might never reach there. So I always look at, you know, how the coaches place the takers. It's difficult. My guess is that if you have been involved in real shootouts, is the coach that tells, look, who would like to go first? And then some guys will volunteer. Who would like to go second? Okay, that's it. So the order is more or less decided by people volunteering. This is obviously a goalkeeping podcast. Uh, we talked about who the best players uh, at taking penalties are. Now, in your opinion, who is, you know, let's go greatest ever, uh, present or past, and, and based on your statistics, who is the best goalkeeper, uh, the penalty king when it comes to penalties? Penalty king is this Brazilian goalkeeper that played for Valencia. So he had a 50% success rate with a lot of penalty kicks was unbelievable. So you're a goalkeeper. So you can be a great goalkeeper for two reasons. Because you dive to the correct side a lot and or because when you dive to the correct side, you save a lot. So you could dive a lot but not save many because you are slow or because you react late and it looks like you are diving correctly but you are not. So he did both things. He dived to the correct side a lot. Not super great but a lot. Let's say 20% above average. Which is was this goalkeeper Diego Alves? Diego Alves. Diego Alves. When he dived to the correct side, he could save it. Which is unbelievable because you dive to the correct side and still you have only a 50% chance of saving it. But he had 90% chance of saving it. It was a little bit bigger, on, I think, on the right-hand side on the left, but doesn't matter. He was great. He dived to the correct side 20% more than average, but condition on diving to the correct side, he almost saved everything. Almost. I would think... 
that has to be has to be num- number one in penalty kicks. I think if you ask the average football fan who the penalty king for goalkeepers is, I can guarantee you. If I asked, I don't think anybody would probably say his name. They would say the classic names, you know, Neuer, Casillas, Can. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. On average, it's eighty percent goals, and he got fifty percent goals. So, and it's not it's not ten ten penalty kicks or twenty. It's eighty penalty kicks. 40 are no goals. Unbelievable. When it comes to national teams, so, for example, like what happened with Netherlands, do you think if you get three goalkeepers on a, on a World Cup roster, normally one of them plays, maybe on a rare occasion the second one does, but then should you leave your third goalkeeper strictly because he's the best penalty taker? I would. Let's say that Alves is number four, number five among the Brazilians. I will bring him to the World Cup as number three. I will explain the number one number to look. Diego Alves is so great that he will be in a penalty shootout for the regular games, both of you guys. And people should understand it, I guess. If I was a professional, look, I, my, I, I, I want to do well, but first of all, I should want my team to win. And in a shootout, look, I'm number one, but in this play... This other guy plays. The psychology of the play is, is not my psychology, nevertheless, but as a coach, I would do that. I will try to do that. How about you? I think, I think my views on it has slightly changed, and it's, uh, it, that's why talking to you is so, so interesting. It's so fascinating. My perspective on it is, uh, is changing. It's something that's new. It's fresh. So <laughs> you know what? I, I like it as well. I'm, why not? I mean, how many times... Has a, a champion been declared in these tournaments? And it's, it's tough to say that they haven't come uh, in a penalty shootout. So why wouldn't you want any kind of advantage in, in such a big tournament like that? Well, Ignacio, you know, algorithms, behavior patterns, everything. It's so fascinating, so fresh. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, the penalty doctor, as you've been called, uh, really appreciate your time. And again, hopefully I can use some of these tips, these, uh, these percentages to my advantage this season. And, uh, if, if they work out, uh, hopefully I can meet you in Spain sometime and, uh, I could share some stories. But again, it's, it's been brilliant having you on the show and thank you so much. My pleasure, Nico. You are welcome to Spain anytime you want. And if not, I'll go to Toronto, but from now on, you are in a, week of uh, trouble because from now on I'm going to be watching your team and watching you and paying close attention to penalty kicks so you have you'll have somebody following you from Spain please if if you could send me any tips uh, my phone's always open I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to those texts we'll be in touch <laughs> we'll be in touch thank you very much for having me you've been listening to The Last Line with Nico Giantsopoulos a podcast produced by York United Football Club of the Canadian Premier League For more on the club, including feature stories, official merchandise and ticket information, please visit yorkunitedfc.ca and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.